You know, I talk about this all the time when I get up here, but I don't think people understand the, the challenge that always comes with, with preaching and not getting up here and speaking, although I know that terrifies a lot of people. But um, with the responsibility that comes with finding a topic or finding an idea or hearing from God in a way that is useful to the people that you're preaching to. And, uh, you know, that the, there feels a certain amount of, of a heavy responsibility that comes with that, that, that what I'm going to get up here and say today is what you need to hear in your life. And, and sometimes what God is putting on my heart and what God is telling me to share with not just the youth and the youth ministry, but with the church and the opportunities I get to preach is something that maybe isn't what most people want to hear. And as a, as a teacher of God's word, you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with understanding that sometimes God's word will step on the toes of the people who are supposed to be following it and maybe aren't doing it in the way they should. <clears throat> and I think that one of the things that makes this so hard is that people in the church seem very unwilling to admit when things apply to them. In fact, I, I, at my last church, I had the opportunity to preach, and, you know, there was, a, there was something I really felt like I needed to say to the church, something the church was really kind of struggling with, just really set in their ways, didn't want to change about it. And there was really a, you know, a, you guys know how this is, there was like four or five individuals I was kind of thinking of who kind of lead that charge, you know, and everything. And, uh, and I preached this really heavy, hard, aggressive sermon on this topic and everything, and I felt really good about it, and as people were walking out and shaking my hand at the end, they were like, that was amazing, that was so good, thank you. And one of those guys that was kind of like the ringleader of this issue in the church, he walked up to me and he shook my hand and he said, boy, that was one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. They really needed to hear that. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, did they? Did they need to hear it? Or, so we have this problem where we hear things and we go, yeah, that's right. And we don't realize how much it really applies to us, ourselves. We're easy to, to put God's conviction on other people, but very slow to put God's conviction on ourselves. And, and I was sitting here two weeks ago, and, and I already knew previous to two weeks ago that I was going to be preaching this Sunday. I already knew kind of what I felt like God had been laying on my heart to share in here for some time now and the next chance I got to preach. And I'm sitting right down there and Aaron comes up here and preaches a message called A Tale of Two Church Members. Uh, some of you might remember. It was just a couple weeks ago. I know that's, that's a stretch. That's why we write things down. It's okay. Um, but he got up here and he talked about what it means to be a church member. What it means to truly be someone who's committed to the church. And he talked about uh, these two church members and how one was devoted and committed to loving and being what the church was designed to be and how the other one was, was almost like elitist and just felt like that they had to have power and control and, and the thing. And, and we talked about these two church members and I just sat here and I was like, man, if we don't, if each and every one of us don't sit in here and realize that at, on some level, 
we are the problem with the church because God's church is perfect in that it's God's. But the human aspect of it is what makes the church imperfect. And we are all responsible for that because the Bible tells us that we all sin. So each of us are responsible for the failures of the church. And he finishes preaching this sermon. And, and I, I'm just sitting here. I felt convicted in my own life of the ways that I fail the church. And the areas where I let down the church. And I almost felt this conviction of like, I need to go to the front and just confess this on the altar and just pray to God and ask him to forgive me. And I was almost just waiting for so many other in the congregation to come forward in that same sense. And, and no one did. And I sat there and I was like, well, I'm not going up there. Like, what would people think if the youth pastor goes up to the altar to pray? Like, I'm the one that's got the big problem. And I realized in that moment that maybe a lot of us don't come to the front because... We're afraid of what other people might, oh my gosh, I can't believe that that deacon went up front and prayed. He's got some major problems. I can't believe that the, this pastor went up front and prayed. What's going on in his life right now? Do we need to fire him? Like we, we worry about what people think. And, and in reality, anytime we're sitting in this place and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and convicts you of any tiny minuscule sin, no matter the gravity, if it's, I lied to my wife yesterday, you need to be down at the altar repenting to God for that. And, and it, it brings me back to this time, and <clears throat> there's a camp that I take the youth to called Super Summer. It's a leadership camp. And uh, one of the nights, they had this, basically this time of, you know, it was a chance to come to the altar. They opened up the altar, which they don't normally do, and it was a chance to, for kids to come forward and pray over things that maybe they weren't doing right in their life and everything. And I had a picture. I should have put it up on the screen, but I took a picture because I was about 20 to 30 rows back, and there were kids that filled a, a giant open space up at the stage, and they were filled all the way back the aisles of kids trying to get as close as they could to the stage to repent because they were convicted of their sin and they knew that's what they needed to do. And, and I just, I sit here and I wonder why the church doesn't have this same attitude of repentance and conviction. Why we feel ashamed to come before a God that we all sit in here and claim to know and serve because we're afraid of what another human might think of us. And so I, I'm going to challenge you, and I'm not, I don't want, I don't want this to be a thing that whenever I preach, you're like, oh, well, Brian said we have to, so we all have to come down to the altar and pray. I, and I'm not saying you need to do that today unless you feel convicted, and then yes, I do think you should do that today. But what I'm going to challenge you today is when you're sitting in this place and you feel the Holy Spirit convicting your heart, come down here during that invitation. That's what it's for. It's a chance for you to get right with the Lord. And I just wonder how much different our approach as a church and as a body of Christ would be to this world if every Sunday we left this place knowing we were right with God. This isn't even my sermon. We're not even getting going yet right now. I haven't even started. These are just thoughts off the top of my head because of what Aaron preached on. But what we're going to talk about this morning is God's design not for church members, and I love that he preached that and I get to kind of piggyback off that, but I wanted to start there and talk about that. But we're going to talk about God's plan for the church as a whole. 
this idea of the body of Christ, these, these, these church members that Aaron spoke on, these individuals coming together to be something that is greater, that, that, what is the saying, the, the sum is greater than the whole of the parts or something like that? I don't know. It's, it's some businessy team building thing. I don't know. But <clears throat> the collective is greater than the sum of his parts. Anyway, but as, as a body of Christ... One person can sit here and can do a lot of work. And I look around this church and I can tell you the people who do a lot of work around here. I'm not one of them, but I can tell you who they are. <clears throat> but I know that if those people, if we all banded together with those people, then what we could do as this church would be so much greater. And so today I want to talk to you about really what, what the Bible says, what God says about how the church should operate and how the church should function and so the first thing I want to do is I want, you to, I want you to picture yourself in your favorite restaurant, okay? I'm not going to name any restaurants up here because we all know that the best restaurant's Outback. Um, and I know that's super controversial. Even within the office, I get yelled at about that all the time. I like what I like, and that's just my deal. But imagine you're sitting in your favorite restaurant, and you order your favorite meal, <clears throat> whatever it is. You order your favorite meal. You're so excited for the waiter to bring this meal to you so you can eat your favorite meal. And the waiter comes out and lays before you a plate of spaghetti. Now this doesn't count unless if spaghetti is your favorite meal, which if it is, you need to try more foods. But, so the waiter puts a plate of spaghetti in front of you and you go, uh, excuse me, this is not what I ordered. And the waiter looked at you and goes, no, you don't understand. This is the best plate of spaghetti in the world. Okay, I'd be intrigued to try the spaghetti now, but it's still not what I asked for. And what I fear is that in the same sense of how upset I would be if a restaurant refused to bring me what I asked the restaurant for, We do the same thing with God when he tells us how he wants the church to operate and we come in and do what we want instead. And we sit here and we say, well, God, what I'm giving you is really good. In fact, it could be the best service, you know, from like the, the lights. And I mean, now we've got these lights up here that are so pretty, but, <clears throat> but it could be the greatest service ever. But if it's not what God asked for, he's never going to be fully pleased with that. And I think about how arrogant that is for us to sit there and to say, I know what the church should do, or I know how the church should act, or I know how the church should function better than God does. So this morning we're going to talk about what God requests. And you'll see it says order up, and we're talking about God's order. Not in like his structure or his plan, but in what he asks. Like we order food in a restaurant. So what God's ordering from us and what we should give back to him. You know, we see, <clears throat> the first time we see humanity do this sort of thing to God, might surprise you how late it is in the Bible. It's in Genesis. Um, we see Cain do this to God when God asked for sacrifices from him and his brother Abel. And instead of providing the sacrifice that God asked for from Cain, Cain instead gives a sacrifice that he feels is good enough to God. 
And what do we see happen from that? We see God punish Cain for this, and Cain ultimately becomes very jealous of the fact that his brother listened to God and did what God asked, and he ultimately kills Abel. So this idea of humanity taking what God asked for and changing it to what we think it should be is not a new concept. And we can look throughout Scripture, that's in Genesis, we can turn to Mark 7, and we can look at when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and uh, they, they are talking to Jesus, and they, so starting in uh, Mark 7, it says, The Pharisees and some teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem, gathered around Jesus, saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, <clears throat> because, and it says in parentheses, that the Pharisees and the Jews did not eat unless they did a ceremonial hand washing, as the tradition was the elders. Uh, and then it says, so the Pharisees and the teacher of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders, instead of eating their food with unclean hands? And Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people will honor me with their lips, but their hearts will be far from me. They will worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commandments of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commandments in God in order to observe your own traditions. And I think this, this passage is the epitome of what we see in the church today. I think we see churches all over this country that are focused more on what the congregants want and like in the spirit of trying to retain church members than they are about doing what God has called them to do. We all have our ways that we like church or that we want to do church, and I'm sure if I pulled every single one of you in here, I would have a broad spectrum of how church should be done. But I feel like, as a whole, the church has lost sight of the intentions of church. The intentions of the things that we do, the intentions, intentions of these traditions that were created. You see, washing your hands was good practice. Like, I mean, we still wash our hands today, and they had a lot more health issues back then. But it wasn't something that was commanded by God. And for them to think that God cared about something that was trivial when he gives much bigger commands is really kind of silly. And, and Jesus was really frustrated with this attitude that, that, that these, these teachers of the law and these, these people who were religious people were condemning other people simply because they wouldn't wash their hands before they eat. Like, I mean, I could just see if we're over in the fellowship hall having a Wednesday night meal and someone goes through the line and is like, I'm sorry, but uh, you're a sinner and you can't come to church here because I didn't see you go wash your hands ceremonially in the big bucket up at the front before you came through the food line. Like, we would view that as ridiculous. But yet we do this in so many different aspects of the church. And I think that Jesus really 
gets after them with a couple quotes when he says, teaching the doctrines and commandments of men. And I wonder how many times, and, and I'm telling you right now, if you listen to pastors across this country and different things, there are tons of pastors who preach not from the Bible and not from the commandments of God, but they preach just off what society says and what culture says, and they teach the commandments of men. It is a rampant problem in our church today. And if it's a rampant problem in pastors today across the church, I can tell you right now it's a rampant problem throughout Christians in our world today. And we then see him turn around and say, leave the commandments of God and hold on to the traditions of men. And I wonder how many times we do this. Like God tells us to do certain things and operate in certain ways as a church. And instead we just drop those because we want to grab what we think is better over here and what we want to create as traditions. I look at so many things that we do around the church or that we do in the service and I ask myself, like as I was reading this and studying this, this is actually, a lot of these ideas are from a book. And if you want to know, I can tell you later. But as I read this book a few years ago, I started to evaluate the things within church services and ask myself, why do we do that? Why do we do things that way? Not that it's bad, but is the reason that we're doing that thing glorifying to God? Like, why do we, why do we sing songs before we preach? Not that that's wrong. In fact, pretty much every church in the country does it that way. But why? Why do we sing songs first and then preach? Why do we never preach and then sing songs? Why do we collect the offering in little plates that we pass around? Why don't we just have a big bucket here at the front and just put all our... It really made me look at why do we do the things that we do? What are the traditions that we have and are just the ways we've always done them what are the reasonings behind them rather than just being like, well, that's functional. It's, it's a quick way to gather the offerings by passing the plates. Or it just flows better when we sing the songs first and then preach. And so when the pastor can go long and preach till everyone's ready for dinner, it's okay, you can laugh. <laughs> Why do we reject... Why do we leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men? And finally, Jesus comes in with the kicker here. And he says, a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your own traditions. And this is not just taking what God asked and trying to do it in a more efficient way or finding a, a way that fits our style better. This is literally taking what God did and saying, you know what, I don't really like that part of the church or this part of what God asked us to do. Instead, I'm going to establish this new part. And you wonder why we look around, and if you've studied church history, any at all, you understand where many of the denominations we have come from today. And I'm not going to sit here and bash on any denomination or talk about one being better than the other. But a lot of these denominations, ours included have traditions and things that are made by man, established by man. Otherwise, every denomination would look identical. And they all claim that they're right. Someone's wrong. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees so harshly because they had their own unimportant ways of doing things. 
And they were ignoring God's important ways that he wanted things done. And, and I fear that as a, as a collective, we are foolish enough to fall into the same trap thousands of years later. I mean, I'm big into this idea of learning from your mistakes. Like, I'm always like, okay, if you make a mistake, I'm willing to forgive you because human, humans make mistakes, right? But I want you to not make that same mistake again. But I feel like the church didn't learn from their mistakes in this regard. I feel like they saw what the Pharisees were doing. They established a new church, and we're going to talk in a second what the new church looked like and how we should model after that. But thousands of years later, we've reverted back to what the Pharisees were doing. Establishing our own traditions. Honoring traditions made by man. Thinking that we're obeying God when we actually aren't. I give this example to the youth. You know, one of the things that we're called to do by God is to share the gospel to all nations, to witness to people. And I ask them all the time, when was the last time that you shared your faith with someone? They'll be like, well, I invited my friend to church last week. I said, I didn't ask when you invited them to church. I asked you when you shared your faith with them. Because we sit there and we think, well, if I invite them to church, then they hear the gospel, and that's the same as me sharing my faith with them. It's not. That's not what God did not call you to invite people to church. He called you to share the gospel with them and we've turned it into something else. I, I look at the, there's a parable in Luke 12 that Jesus talks about a master who gives his, his servants tasks to do. And the servants sit around, basically, thinking that they've got time before the master returns and the master returns and finds that his servants haven't done the task that he asked them to do. And the master punishes the servants harshly because they knew what they were supposed to do. And they didn't do it, thinking they had more time. And I don't think we can overlook a parable like this and the context of it because Jesus is talking about his return. He is the master in this story, and he is going to come back one day, and when he comes back, he expects to find his church, his servants in the story, doing the things that he has asked them to do. And when he returns and he sees the church not doing the things he asked them to do, there will be punishment. And it's not going to be pretty. And I think we all just need to take a second to retrospect and look at ourselves and say, am I doing the things that God has called me to do or am I doing the things that I think that I should do because I grew up in a church and I know how things work? Our culture has this problem, and, and, and I see this, and I'm not saying that this exists here necessarily, but you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Our culture has this problem with coming to church to follow a person, whether they really love the pastor at this church and so they come to church to hear this particular pastor speak because he's such this great teacher, or they come to youth because the youth pastor is just the greatest human on the face of the planet. It happens, believe it or not. When you come to church, the only person you should be following is Jesus. The only person you should be listening to is Jesus. 
I'm great, and I'll tell you that I'm great. But if you're listening to me, you need to stop. Because I can only take you so far. My knowledge can only take you so far, but Jesus can take you to the places where you need to be. I look at the early church, and they had a similar problem, and I see, I see Paul write to the church in uh, 1 Corinthians. And he says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. And another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for your sins? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Am I thankful that I did, I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except for a couple. So no one can say that you were baptized into my name, yet I also baptized uh, others. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross be emptied of its power. See, the, the people in Corinth wanted Paul to be more than he was. They wanted Paul to be some figurehead, or that he, was the, he was the famous preacher of the day, and they wanted him to visit them more because they couldn't do church without Paul, because Paul was so great. And see, Paul recognized this problem, and, and he got onto them for it. He said, look, you're not here to follow me. You weren't baptized into my faith. You were baptized into a faith of Jesus Christ. And he knew that when we turn around and we say that I follow this pastor, or I follow this, or I follow that, that we are taking away from the power of Jesus' death on the cross. And I think that Paul was trying to give the church here, the early church in, in Corinth, a strong redirection towards following Jesus. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. It's not about what I do as a human. It's not about how many kids get saved when we go to camp or whatever, how many baptisms we have. It's about me doing my responsibility, not as a youth pastor, but as a simple Christian, to share the gospel with other people. So now we've kind of looked at what the church shouldn't be. We've kind of looked a little bit at what the church is, but shouldn't be. But now what should the church be? What is God's order? And I think for us to understand this, because I could get up here and I could have started with these three things. I could have started with these three points that we're about to cover quickly. But I think that the first thing you have to do before you can even begin to understand or, or digest these three points is you have to change your mindset. Because the mindset that almost all of us walked into this room with today is that mindset that I just talked about, where the, the way that we do things is good enough. The way that we do things is how we've done them for 80 years, so obviously it works. You have to stop asking yourself, 
what would I enjoy or what have I always done and begin asking yourself, what would please God or what does God want? And when I start to think about this question, what would please God, I immediately go to the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, as a minister and as a pastor, it is a book that I love because it is a picture of how these people who were living their lives totally sold out to the concept of establishing the church. I love, I asked Teresa to do that last song, King of Kings, because I love the, the theology in it. You know, the church of Christ was born and the spirit lit the flame. The gospel truth of old shall not yield, shall not faint. The, the, the impact of that is straight from the book of Acts. And I love looking at it. And so where we're really going to look right here is Acts 2, verse 42 through 47. And we see a picture, a little window into the early church. And, and if you take nothing else from this morning, I want you to take Acts 2, 42 through 47. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and, and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave, any, they gave to anyone who he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. And if you take nothing from this today, other than this, I want you to take these two words. Be devoted. Devoted is not a light word. I don't think of being devoted to things that I don't care that much about. I think of being devoted to things that I'm willing to go to great lengths, great extents, to expend myself to serve or to preserve. Being devoted is a heavy word. And we see in here three times it says be devoted to, one, teaching God's word, two, to fellowship slash breaking bread, three, to prayer. And I think so often we like to make church about a lot more when in reality church is about the teaching of God's word, being together as a body in fellowship, and praying. That's it. That's what the church was founded on. That's the foundation that the church was built on. See, the early church wasn't attractive to people because the flashy lights and how much they liked. Hey, what do you want in a church service? What do you want in a church service? How can we cater to you? That's not what the early church did. It was appealing to people because they sat around and they saw the way that these people lived their lives devoted to God and how they loved one another and cared for one another and they desired that. I told the youth, and this is, a, this is a stretch of an analogy, so don't take this as the only thing from this sermon, but I said, why do people join gangs? I don't think people join gangs just because they really like violence. 
I don't think anyone grows up as a kid going, you know what, I want to be a gang member when I grow up. Like, people don't desire that. So what is it about joining a gang or being a part of a gang that seems desirable to people at some point? And realistically, from, from looking at that and studying it a little bit, I think it's the family. They know that they have a group of people who have their back no matter what and will go fight to the death for them no matter what. My gosh, when did the church become less of an example of family than a gang? Where did we make that mistake? We have to be people who are devoted to the teaching of God's word. I'm going to just touch on each of these three real quick because they're so important. And you could do a whole sermon on each of these three things. We read passages like Hebrews 4.12 that says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We've all heard that passage, but do you really believe it? Do you really believe that the word of God is so living and active that it can pierce to the heart of man and change them? I would hope that all of you would go, yes, I really do believe that. Then start acting like you believe it. Start being in God's word, reading it and studying it and bringing it to church and sitting here and listening to it being taught and exposed on. We have to act as if we believe these things. You, studying God's word is so important because it's our, it's our one, if you look at the armor of God, the only offensive tool we have is the word of God. You can sit and play defense all day long, but if you never score, you're never going to win. At best, you're going to tie zero to zero. You have to have an offensive weapon. You have to be prepared to go to battle with the Word of God. You have to be devoted to studying it in your personal life and within the construct of the church. Second to breaking bread and fellowship. I think there's a reason that these are done together. Because fellowship's great. One of my favorite things as a youth pastor is just getting to hang out with the kids. Like just getting to go do fun stuff and just be together. It doesn't always have to be so church-centric that we can't have fun. Like we took the college class to go do an escape room this last week. We had a great time. We had a meal together. We went and had fun together, had conversation. It was a great time. It was fellowship. We have to be a family and love one another. But then I think they throw in this breaking bread. Because this isn't just talking about, a lot of people will be like, well, breaking bread's talking about eating food with them. Okay, I think that they chose this phrase, breaking bread, specifically. Because I look at this construct and this idea of communion. And I don't think this is one of those man-established traditions in the church. I think this was established by Jesus himself at Last Supper, Lord's Supper, whatever you want to call it, with the disciples. And we sit here on Sunday mornings and we take this little cracker or piece of bread and we take a little cup of juice. And I mean, we understand what it means we appreciate what it means. But I wonder, 
if we've ever put ourselves in a position of the disciples and the first time that they took communion together after Jesus' ascension, when they're sitting there breaking the bread, vividly remembering what it looked like to see Jesus' body broken. Or when they're sitting there pouring out the wine, vividly remembering what it looked like to see Jesus' blood pouring off his body. This idea of coming together and breaking bread and fellowship is not just a tradition that we sit here and we, we, you know, pass these plates and take the elements and read about them in the Bible a little bit. It's something to really reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made, not just for each and every one of us, but for the church as a whole. So I think that's why breaking, breaking bread is a specific phrase put in here with fellowship. Because it is what binds us. We can disagree. We can read the Bible and we can disagree on theology. Again, someone's right. But we can disagree on that. We can pray in different ways. I can pray ten times a day and you can pray one time a day. Does that make me more holy than you? Not if you pray for ten times as long as I do in that one setting. But the one thing that binds us, the one thing we have in common, is that we're all saved by the grace of God through the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And communion, the breaking of bread, is the one thing in all of this that binds us. So you have to study God's word. You have to be together, fellowship with one another, break bread with one another, and finally we have to be devoted to prayer. <clears throat> the writer of the book, I told you that a lot of these thoughts come from a book that I read. The author of the book asked this question and when he's talking about this, and he says, does prayer play a meaningful role in the life of your church? Another way to say it is, does prayer play a vital role in the life of your church? Then he backs that up and says, if prayer is not vital in your church, then your church is not vital. This seems harsh. And some of you might be like, wow, that's really aggressive to say that a church that's devoted to serving God is not vital Honestly, I think that this is true, not just on a church level, but also on a personal level. God has a plan and has designed a path for each of us to follow. And if, if prayer is not something that's vital in your life, then you're not following the vital path that God has laid out for you. Because God desires, commands of you to spend time in prayer with him. The early church was devoted to prayer because they knew that they could not exist without it. You look later in Acts and Acts 4.31 and they see a time where the apostles are praying together and as soon as they end their prayer, there's an earthquake and the Spirit envelops the room. And I think about, my goodness, 
When was the last time that Christians came together and had such a movement of the Spirit that the earth was shaken? I feel like God looks down and instead of seeing people who are committed to studying his word, to praying to him, to breaking bread and appreciating the sacrifice that he made from his son, God looks down and he sees people complaining about the church atmosphere and the lighting on the stage, the music that's played, the preaching that's done. How shameful is it for us as a church to complain about these things when we don't even appreciate the things that God's done for us or follow his commands that he's laid out for us? God commands us to be devoted to these three things. Why? Because God desires for his followers to experience him in a very real way. And the only way that we can truly experience God is when we follow the map that he has laid out for us. Instead, we make our own path and feel like it will lead us close enough to God that we'll, we'll, be, in the, we'll be in the ballpark. Instead of sitting in here in church and putting on pep rallies for God every week, we should be putting God on display and letting him draw people to our church. God does not want us to be church attenders. He doesn't care about the number of people who attend our church. He wants us to be disciples. And he wants us to be people who have hearts that follow him. It seems so simple. And, and really it is so simple. It didn't say it was easy. It said it was simple. But we've strayed so far. So what, what can we do? I think this starts on an individual level. We could have 90% of the church that's on board pulling in the right direction, but if 10% is pulling in the opposite direction or just sitting still, we're not doing what God's called us to do. It starts on an individual level. Every single person in here doing what I said at the beginning and finding a way to make themselves right with God on a regular basis. And once we all reach that point to come together and to say we want to be a church that doesn't care about what we want, doesn't care about what we like, but instead follows only what God wants from us, cares only about what God desires from us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your words that you give us that we can know, we can understand what you want from us, God.
It's right there in front of us. I pray that you would give us softened hearts to embrace that, to understand that all we have to do is to follow what you've laid out and that you will bless us. It may not be easy, it may not be what we want, but to be people who are sold out and devoted to following your plan, God. I pray that your spirit would just convict the hearts of those here today who are not living a life devoted to you. That maybe come to church because it's what they've always done. But haven't been hearing from you, God. I pray that today would be the day that they begin hearing from you again. That you would encourage them and guide them and direct them to be committed to turning their life over to you and to begin being a peace that turns this church towards you, God. God, we love you. We praise you for the sacrifice that you've made. And we pray that you would just bless the, the mission of this church to be sold out after you, God. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.